Okay, good. Okay, there's a lot of energy in the room. <laughs> okay, so welcome everyone. And uh, I'm Matthew, Matthew Daniel. I'd like to introduce Larry Rosenberg, who actually to, uh, doesn't need much introduction. Uh, and uh, Doug Phillips, my co-teachers. And also we have um, Mary Gates will be practice leader. So we're very happy to have her join our team. Okay. So how many folks here are uh, old yogis? You can take that many. I left it very open. <laughs> how you interpret that. So you may feel old and creaky, right? But this retreat is especially um, for people that have had a continuity of practice, that have been in silence for extended periods or done a number of retreats. And there's something very beautiful about that sense of the word old. Like an old friend that's a good friend that we're used to. So hopefully we're entering into and we will be entering into a retreat. And it's a it's away from the rest of our lives. It's a new in a way it's a new beginning, right? But there's something that's not even old but ancient in what we're working with here. And for those of us who have been around the block a few times, whether it's age and practice wise or just practice wise, then we know that we're coming to touch something which actually it's, if we keep going in terms of time, it's actually timeless, isn't it? So the summer solstice is coming up soon, isn't it? And it's wonderful because it's a, is it tonight or tomorrow night? It's tonight. Okay, good. I got mixed information. So it's tonight. So that's a, well, it's the, it's the longest day of the year, right? So think of how many cycles we've been through, how many years, how many cycles of the sun and moon cycles we've been through. And we can touch into our practice in a way like that, where we keep coming up, keep diving into the essence of the present moment, which is timeless. And it becomes a fabric of our being. And the more often we do it, the more often we create the conditions where, in a way, it can do us, where we can drop into the timeless now. Then the more we touch this, this quality. And as we start a retreat, it's very good to reorient ourselves, to take a bit of time to reflect, to to move out of the space of busy daily energy, habit energy, and into the space where we're really prioritizing touching this, the depth of now, the timelessness of it, the support of the, what we're doing here. This has been going on for, well, how many retreats have we done? A lot. 
And we're part of a collective that's been doing retreats for in a wider sense for centuries, for millennium. Touching into this same stream. So it's good to remember what we're touching into and what we're allowing ourselves to let go of, at least temporarily. So the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha are areas we can orient our energies as we move into this time where we really don't have any other obligations. Quite special. We don't actually have to do anything other than remember to do the very simple things which remind us to touch in and strengthen this timeless quality of being present. And then let that serve the quality of our lives deeply in the here and now so that understanding can arise so that something fresh and new can be born out of habit energy. So the Buddha on one level is the, the being that existed, lived maybe 2,600 years ago, roughly that. And Buddha on the inner level means wakefulness. When the Buddha was, after he had his deep awakening, touched this timeless quality to such an extent that it became unshakable. It became the very resting place of his mind and his heart, his home. He was asked what he was as he was walking along and someone saw him and said, you look like you're glowing. You look quite extraordinary. What are you? Who's your teacher? Are you a God? What are you? He said, I'm not a God. I'm not a normal man in the way of being caught up in habit energy. He said, I am awake. So we're all here to awaken, aren't we? And throw out the notions, some idealized notions of awakening as a big thing. We're here to awaken into the moment, this moment. The pristineness, the clarity of the heart and the mind that meets life exactly as it is. Where there's no room for pushing and pulling, no room for argument or judgment, but there's just this. And so there's wakefulness. And so how much do we place our confidence, our trust in this inner possibility that we all know in little bits? And the Buddha said he wouldn't have taught if people couldn't understand. So we all have this capacity. And we spend much of our lives running around, don't we, being busy. But now we're in this very special place with like-minded people. A lot of people behind the scenes that have worked hard to create these conditions where we can really orient ourselves towards wakefulness moment by moment. So reflecting why we're here in a way, are we here to touch this inner quality of awakeness? 
see if we can relax into this possibility and just notice if there are other, maybe we came with a lot of different intentions. Let's see if there's a thread, if there's maybe a center in all the reasons we came that is really simple to be in the moments fully, wakefully. So there's Buddha, the outer forms of it, symbols of it, historical being and all those images which remind us there's inner Buddha. There's the Dharma, which is the classical teachings, which you'll be hearing from all of us, and which probably a lot of us have done quite a bit of study of, which are like pointers at the moon, which point us back to our original wakefulness, our inner pristine clarity, and their teachings. So how much have we, and how much are we willing to open into actually taking them seriously? Like that suffering, if we view it rightly, can be a gateway to freedom. Or that things really do change. It's in their inherent nature to change. Or that letting go when the conditions are right naturally leads to freedom. So there's the Dharma in the world of teachings. And that points to the Dharma, which is simply the way of things. The lawfulness, the movements of life, the flow. And at a very deep level, perhaps the inner stillness within the movements that sees them. Natural, simple, which is prior to all the other teachings prior to all the techniques and schemas. So relaxing into and orienting ourselves as we start this retreat to the Dharma, how much can we really open into the possibility that we can work with the teachings, really work them, let them touch our hearts and minds, let them orient us to the nature of things as they are. And the final of what are called the traditional places we place confidence or even refuge, rather than taking refuge in our busyness, our success, our failure, our money, our relationships, things, placing refuge in these, really letting our hearts and minds land, rest in these facets Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, which is the community of those which hold the teachings, hold the truth, hold the way. And traditionally, the Sangha was the fully awakened ones, the ones supposedly that had totally uprooted the unwise habit energies of the heart. We read about them. But those are just ideals there. Again, they're pointers at the moon. The Sangha in a traditional way is also represented by those in robes. The monks, the nuns that in the deepest sense, in the, in the symbolic sense, and hopefully for many of them at a 
a deeper practice level is really orienting orienting a life to a life of simplicity where they can really prioritize the inner work. Sangha is in all the communities we come from, the people we sit with, those that support our practice and now or in a Sangha here. And in a way, this is one of the most powerful, tangible support systems that we have while we do the practice, because it's tough, right? It's inner. It's just us alone with ourselves. And yet, when we're sitting here and we think, uh, uh, no. And then we just sense the people around us. And part of our minds and hearts know that they're we think we're alone, but another part of us knows that they're going through it too, in a way that we're all in it together. And then when we're all in it together, we can draw on each other's strength. And we can also extend each other to each other, our own strength, our own willingness to return to the moment when we've been lost, to slow down, to stay steady when All we want to do is be restless. To keep recommitting to coming back and landing and resting in the present, seeing clearly. We support each other. The Sangha is the most powerful tool we have in a way of knowing that we're all connected. It's very practical. So relaxing into the fact that we have community to support us. And that through our own efforts, we support each other. So feeling into this, relaxing into it, we're a community here for the next week together. So Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. And then as a community, it's, it's important that we have, we live in harmony together. So traditionally, precepts, guidelines for behavior are given, and they're outer, and they're also very much inner. They support our inner path as well. So the first is simply to, and we're not going to be, sometimes these are, there's a call and response where there's, you'd be having sheets and you'd read them. We're not doing that. I'm just asking you to reflect a little on each of them tonight. So it's internal. So the first is, is to um, refrain from killing. And that seems simple enough when, you're, when we're in a setting like this, right? Well, maybe. In little ways, if we're in the woods or if we see a mosquito or this or that, it's, a, it's actually a way, a way to see our, watch our reactive energy before we move. So a long time ago, I was a, I was a monk and we used to have these uh, malaria mosquitoes that would come around. And uh, we were asked we're not supposed to kill them. They have a lot of 200 and something rules. <laughs> and it was a real challenge. I never got malaria, so I wasn't stupid. <laughs> uh, but it was a challenge whenever you heard buzzing to not just want to kill it because there was fear. And so much killing does come from fear, comes from not knowing. So here, we won't have much opportunity to work with it too much. But if there's reactivity in these little ways, then see if you can see it. 
The opposite of killing is giving life, is supporting life. And I love the other side of these precepts. In this, in this case, it's appreciating the preciousness of life. It's appreciating that we have all of the senses, that we have this time, that we have the wherewithal, the life situation, the resources to be able to come and to do this work, to prioritize it. Even though we can really, we're sane enough to be able to attend to the moment fully, to be in a life situation where we can value that. And so the other side of not killing is really appreciating the preciousness of being alive, of being human, of having these senses and these moments where we can wake up. So there's this working with non-killing and supporting life. Preciousness of it. The second of the precepts is uh, not stealing. And unless you see a little sign at the, when we're going through a meal, it says one cookie each first time through, which they have sometimes. I don't know if you'll have it here. And you decide to take two outside of a situation like that. Uh, there's not much to work with, is there? <laughs> so this, this is actually a more subtle, they're all subtle. I mean, they, they all can, there's an inner level of not stealing. And that, in a certain way, um, Roberta was talking about the different ways that we hold the container here. And so not having eye contact is just a way to give people space. It's a little bit artificial, right, for normal human interaction. But it's a way to give people space to really be themselves. Because there's such an energy exchange that happens when we look at someone, when we check someone out when we engage. And so one act of, and we can actually take, we can actually take something that's not given in a retreat if we don't actually give people their own space and really respect it. And so that's one way of not stealing, but supporting others is to really see when our habit energies are, and a lot of them are natural, just natural human social energies, when they can leak out and when that actually might be not supporting, as we do as community members, not supporting the quality of someone else's practice. Because the silence is incredibly powerful. You'll be getting Dharma that comes from up here, and you'll be doing your own inner work. And it all takes place in silence, doesn't it? That's one of the, if, if, we, if we didn't say anything all week, and there was just silence, and that was and there was just, we were just alone, but we were together in our support, you might have a wonderful retreat. I don't know, maybe better than if, should we do that, Larry? Sure. Okay. Okay, we're, no. <laughs> we'll be doing plenty of it anyways. So really respecting that. So not like not letting our energy lean out, but actually settling back and seeing our habit energies that would impose. So that's, in a way, it's, uh, you're giving you're being generous when we let people be as they are and we really do our practice strongly. So this ties in with the third, which is sexual misconduct, which in terms of a retreat like this, it means celibacy. It's pretty simple. In daily life, often it means other things. It means to, to, to be respectful in a way that doesn't harm yourself or others, respect committed relationships, etc. But for here, it means... It's a very black and white thing, but it also means really seeing your energies 
when they're working. Now, you could take this as, oh, that means if I have sexual energy that comes up on the retreat, I should repress it. And well, it means don't act out. But it actually is a wonderful, this is a wonderful environment to actually be able to get in touch with the, the lawfulness of energy, the naturalness of it, the movements of it when it arises and let it be part of what we attend to in a way where we don't have to repress it and we don't have to act out. It's actually a very wonderful gift to be able to work um, with sexual appropriateness, which is non-action. But with all of the trainings here, there's non-repression on an inner level of our impulses. We're just committed to the quality of awareness that can see things and be with them as they are. And this is a very powerful place to practice that. Okay, very powerful. Anyone had a VR here before? Anyone know what a VR is? It's a Vipassana romance. We can make up whole stories. We can have a whole relationship, kids, divorce, alimony, we can have the whole thing over the course of just a few moments if we're attracted to somebody. If we get a glimpse and our mind goes. So those are, or you can have vendettas. Vipassana vendettas, the opposite, okay. So a lot of things around this energy can get stirred up. So it's really a powerful place to work. And maybe nothing. Maybe it's just neutral, okay. We're supposed to be celibate and just respect people's boundaries, great. But it's a wonderful place to see the workings of the mind and the heart. Because we're actually in community, we're in relationship with each other, but we're not. Right? So the energies may be there, but there's nowhere to go. And that's just the point. Because our practice is not going anywhere with anything. It's learning to open to things fully and use our practice to ground and study the heart and the mind so we let them be as they are and let ourselves be as we are. So working with this energy in that way. The fourth is uh, speech. So refraining from false speech. Ah, isn't it nice to be in silence? (laughs) We don't, it's actually a real relief. I used to practice in South India um, at an ashram. It was sort of, it was Raman Maharshi's place. It wasn't a full ashram, but uh, some people would wear, they'd wear white bandanas around their mouth and they would, they're called maunam. It means uh, no speaking. And people would even be social and they wouldn't speak. So it would be a symbol. And uh, people can be practice silence for very long periods and have it as a very powerful practice. Because if you're not speaking, but you have the impulse to speak, that's coming from your mind. It's coming from your heart. And so every moment that we don't speak, but we want to speak, we can work with that, right? It's so much, so essential to our practice is to touch the place prior to the action where there's seeing, then we have choice. And so here it's really simple because we don't have to speak and there are clear ground rules around it. So let it be a relief. It can be a little awkward, right? Some of us are social, we're used to being, speaking a lot. It can take a couple of days, but for many of us, by the end of it, we're, we really appreciate it, don't we? Because it, it conserves energy tremendously as well. So not speaking falsely on one level, it just means not speaking here, but it's actually about not speaking falsely, which means, well, we'll have group interviews, Right? We'll be having those. Each, one, each person will get a group interview 
uh, twice during the week. Um, and you'll see, you know, you'll see two of us. You won't see all of us, but you'll see um, two of us. And uh, you can, if you talk about your practice in a way that isn't, you know, you're trying to make it great or you're trying to put yourself down or something, then just see that. Just try to be as accurate as you can when you speak. Uh, or if you write a note, if you need to write a note about something, see if you can do it in a way that's actually accurate to how you perceive. So that's, that's the only time you get to speak here. So just try to do it there and then enjoy the silence. We won't talk about going home. We'll talk about that when we go home. Uh, it's one of the most challenging. As a matter of fact, last year, I shouldn't say this, but last year I, I, I talked about these and I left out the precept on speech. I just left it out. We're silent, so why would I talk about it? But it's, in daily life, it's, it's one of the most difficult, challenging, and if we work with it skillfully, rewarding places to bring mindfulness. Mindful speaking, mindful listening. And you can bring that in here, even as you're listening now and throughout the instructions and the talks. In the discussion, too. Let yourself really touch in with the mindfulness aspect. So not speaking isn't just refraining, it's actually a receptive listening. Okay? And the last one is to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind. And traditionally, this means alcohol, and, or at least alcohol to an extent that clouds the mind, um, drugs, etc. cetera. Uh, it can also apply pra- practically, if you look at it literally, it means anything that changes us, changes our inner balance, uh, and that clouds it. And so it means anything we put in our bodies. So we can use this as a real training ground to look into the mind-body connection. So if we have coffee, if we drink a lot of coffee and then we're not drinking any here, or we're drinking a little but not much, we can work with that. It's a very powerful place to work. How much we work with food, right? How It's not considered an intoxicant, but it, it certainly is, right? Who loves chocolate here in the way that you get high from it? <laughs> And maybe it's not so healthy all the time or whatever it might be. Okay. So see if you can stay, use it as a, as a, as a place like a laboratory to really see what you put in and you don't have to think about it so much, but really just feel it, see what the quality of what you put into your body while you're here, uh, what that does to the quality of your energy, the sustained quality of your energy and your mindfulness in practice. So it's actually wonderful. So again, this, as in all of these, it's not just refraining. It's like, not, thou shalt not do. It's actually setting up a container where we can work with the energies. And in this one, since we do, we will be taking in food and tea and water and such. Right? We will be, then this is a place where we actually get to test things and, and work with them. So these are the five uh, training rules, in a way. These are the precepts which are meant to support a harmonious container in the Sangha. The outer Sangha, a respectful surround, so we can all have a harmonious time together. And also an inner one. So one of the, one of the, word, one of the ways of looking creatively at Sangha is that we have an inner community. The little parts, the different parts of ourselves that all are competing and working in different ways. And that we when we work with these energies and we bring our awareness to them and we allow them to be as they are, but we don't act out or act in in a way, then there's more room for there to be an inner sense of harmony, an inner sense of cooperation. And so, and this is all in the service of, 
allowing ourselves to see into nature and to really take our training into moments seriously uh, in a continuous way, a gentle way, where our wakefulness can flower. Where we can touch, as I started, with the, this kind of ancient, even timeless quality of awareness that's deep in our hearts and minds. Okay? So I hope that we have a really fruitful seven days together. I hope that we're all holding each other in our hearts and that we'll be, when it gets tough, we can relax into the fact that we're in it together. And when it's good, we can be in that with each other. Because we are entering into, and it's a silent community, it's a unique community, we're entering into community together. So I hope that it's a very fruitful time for all of us, all of us yogis. Okay, thank you. And now, um, Larry, do you want to do the instructions? You've been sitting. You want to use this? Oh, hold on. Oh, I see. I go together. Okay. <coughs> what I have in mind for us this evening is rather simple. I'm not going to go into great detail about meditation. You all uh, have a practice. You've come here with it. I'll just mention a few basic points. And we'll sit for a little while, not overly long, um, because I think it's a good idea to get a good night's rest. Some of you who feel quite perky, maybe you haven't traveled far, uh, and you feel like staying up and sitting, by all means. But many of us have uh, come some, at some distance or been working hard all week. And so I think it's a good idea if we um, just begin things, but not, uh, not for an, over, an overly long period of time. Okay. So I assume you're arranging your body so it's comfortable at least as comfortable as you can manage, and also upright. You'll be hearing us remind you a good deal of the need 
for the uprightness to be balanced with relaxation and for the relaxation to inform the uprightness. And take a few moments to course through the body. Just briefly moving through the body, seeing how it is. How's the body for you right now? In just a very ordinary way. No need to name things or explain them, but feel them. And if we come to a part of the body that is uncomfortable, perhaps tense, I have to use language to communicate, just pause. Don't try to relax it, but actually become mindful of it, however that is. See what happens when the energy of seeing touches something that's contracted, tense. And then move on. And take a few moments, literally just a few moments, to get a sense if there's any obvious attitude that you're beginning the retreat with. You're excited, optimistic, pessimistic. There may be not much, nothing special to report. Fine. Just how has the mind begun? We've seen how the body is beginning. And I'm just going to very briefly mention one form of entering into sitting meditation. If you have your own way of practice that has proven itself for you and you wish to carry that out, I'm pretty sure that the three of us, when we get to talk to you, probably we're familiar with it. What I'm going to suggest is something called whole body breath awareness. Get a sense of the whole body. Again, no struggle to try to blanket every inch of bodily life, but since an overall sense of sittingness, of this body being this way, just the way it is. Again, no need to give it a label or an identity. It's just, hmm, it's this way. But you're encompassing this sense of the whole body in the sitting posture. And become aware that a vital part of bodily life is breathing. So as we sit, Attend to the breath sensations, breath energy, wherever you find them. (coughs) 
relaxed, alert. Wherever you're feeling breath sensations at this moment as I speak is perfect, it's fine. Don't set up an ideal of covering every inch of the body, feeling where the breath is everywhere, just wherever you feel it right now. That's it, it's good enough. And so there's sitting, there's breathing, there's knowing. In the meantime, life goes on, the life of the mind. Thoughts whiz through or trudge through. Images come and go, moods come and go. There's an outer silence, perhaps there's a bit of an inner silence. And just for the next few minutes, let's feature whole body breath awareness. Some people have never practiced breathing this way, conscious breathing. You much more frequently taught and practiced a kind of pinpointed attention at the nostrils, the tummy. Also useful. But for right now, if you wish, give it a try. So you've arranged the body so that it's as upright and relaxed as you can manage. And you can feel the movement of of energy as the lungs fill up and empty. And that's what we feature. Let everything else come and go. We're not trying to stamp anything out nor hold on to anything. And if the mind slipped off the sense of the whole body breathing, as soon as you notice that, without turning that into a problem, just return. Inhabit the whole body as you sit and breathe. And let's do that together for a little while.
Just this in-breath, just this out-breath, wherever you're feeling it in the body at this moment.
sitting, breathing, and knowing. Please check to see if you're inhabiting the whole body as it breathes. If you're somewhere else, just ease back. Whatever the quality of the breathing and wherever you're feeling it, it's just perfect. We're not trying to make it be a certain way.
as you sit and breathe. Please listen to the sound of the bell until there's nothing left to hear. Please get a good night's rest. We'll go at it again in the morning if you still feel that you have a lot of energy and don't feel an inclination to go to sleep, then you may wish to do some walking or sitting or both until you're ready to go to sleep. Take a few moments and see which is wisdom for you. Sometimes it's going to sleep, sometimes it's staying up. Wisdom is not a fixed thing. There'll be detailed instructions on the sitting practice and also on walking. Tomorrow, during the sitting, before and during the sitting, right after breakfast. Okay, you're welcome to sit through the night if you wish. I'm going to sleep. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.